99. If you were born after 99 or a little bit, you have no idea. This is a TV, actually. This is a TV. This is what we used to watch. Uh, Justin reminded me at about 12.01 a.m. every night, if you were watching, it went to this, right? (laughs) If you didn't have cable, which I didn't. Um, At Stuttgart Harvest Church, we got our start in the movie theater across town, the Stuttgart Twin Cinema. And there's one thing I know after managing that theater for a little while, for several years, there's one thing I know, and from my own experience in attending movies, one thing that so many theaters have in common, and that would have to do with the floor. Do you all know what it is about the floor at a movie theater? <laughs> it's sticky, right? You hear your feet walking and pull. It's just kind of disgusting. We had a goal, though, of never having a sticky. We learned how to make that not sticky, and it takes so much work. But they all have, at times, these sticky, disgusting floors. Things get messy in a movie theater. Drinks get spilled, Coke, those Cokes, this, all that syrup and sugar, it just, it just gets messy. The floors get sticky. Um, but here's the reality, I believe. So do the lives that go in and out of a movie theater. They can get a little sticky, can't they? A little messy. They can get a little troublesome. Um, I've got a picture here I want to show you. Let me step to this side so we can see it. Uh, I have not been able to see this movie yet. Has anyone seen this new movie yet? I can't wait to see it. I am a huge Mary Poppins fan. Um, So here we have a poster, and as we got our start at the movie theater, we had all kinds of movie posters all the time. I I loved movie posters. I still do. But you know what? With every single movie poster there's an actor or an actress on that poster and behind that picture there of that actress, she's playing someone else, but she has a real life. There's a real life. And if you could just look even behind that real life of an actor or an actress, you would also find a very real past. That's a real life, and she has, I don't know it, but I just know, she has some kind of past. There's something in her past, and that's true for us as well, right? I mean, when you go on Facebook and you start scrolling through all the pictures of your friends, their profile pictures or just pictures they've added, when you go onto Instagram and you start looking through all of those pictures that your friends have posted Behind every picture on Instagram, behind every picture you see on Snapchat, behind every picture that you see on Facebook, there is a real life behind that picture. And behind every life, there's also a very real past. So, I thought that I would be a little transparent this morning, and I would share just a little bit about me. So let's scroll through some of my pictures. Here's the first one. Uh, I'm the fat one down at the bottom. (laughs) You love that hair? 
I hope my mom's watching this morning. I hope she is. That's my family. Um, that's me, little chunky heart. I've always loved to eat. I mean, I, it's evident right there. But you know what? In looking at that picture, I have no idea what the 21 means. I, I'm, I, I'm not sure. But if you were to look at this picture, all you see is a family. You, you don't know, but behind, and I was too young to really have any past then. My past then was just dirty diapers. That's about as messy as it got. That's bad enough, I realize. Um, but there is history there. Behind every single one of those people in my family, there's a real life. And behind every single one of those real lives, there's a real past. What's the next picture? I've grown up just a little bit. There I am with my three sisters. Again, I'm the small, chunky one. That's us. Those are my three sisters. That's me. And again, it's just a picture. But behind every photo that you see, there is a real life. And behind every single real life you see, there is some kind of real past. What's the next picture? It's us again. That's us. Now, Harley has really blossomed into his fullness. <laughs> I, I just These are my three sisters again, only this time I'm not the small chunky one. I'm the big chunky one. And I just need to point out the obvious. Listen, I know the hat doesn't fit. I know that the, they did not ever make a hat that would fit this bulbous, enormous cranium. I have no idea why God blessed me with a huge cranium and such a tiny brain. I have no idea. Behind every single person in that picture is a real life, and you can't see it, but behind every life is some kind of past. So let's move from my family, let's move on to a series of pictures, because I have shown up in a lot of people's weddings I'm so sorry that you get such a weird pastor at your weddings. Here's one, uh, beach wedding. Um, again, it represents very real people. And I can't speak to anyone else's life. Let me just speak to my own. Me, right there in the middle, right in that blue shirt there. That guy. A very real life represented by that picture, and behind that life is a very real past. Let's go to the next wedding. Let's see, I've changed a little bit there. Um, I, I looked a little bit like that when I first met some of you guys. Um, so here we have me at another wedding, um, and I, I actually, I don't know anyone in that picture <laughs> except for me, and I don't know myself very well. But that guy right there holding the Bible, that picture represents a very real person, a real life that you know nothing about other than what you see in that picture. But behind that life is a very real past. What's next? Let's see, these all happened while I lived in Louisiana. Miss Judy, you might appreciate this because what you can't see in that picture is the uh, woo um, So anyway, another wedding. I have no idea who that is. Um, beside me. Um, the people getting married are kind of off the screen there. Um, but 
that's, uh, let's see, I was living in Louisiana at the time, and behind that picture, a very real life, me right there, with a very, dealing with very real things. And at the time the picture was taken, very current things. Today, as I look back at that, I can say a very real past. Now let's look at the next three here. Here comes one. This is now actually after I had already moved here um, to um, Arkansas. And there is Harley. I, I, I look a little bit different but that picture represents a very real life, and I, and I guarantee you what's going on in the life of Harley at that time right there, there is some trauma involved, a very real past. Let's go to the next picture. There I am. Um, this was somewhere around, I don't know, 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. Um, uh Everybody looks happy. Everybody looks great, I guess. They do, for sure. Um, but the guy over there on the outside of the screen, there's a lot going on in his life. You can't tell that by looking at the picture. You have no idea what's happening, what's going on. But I can tell you that picture represents a very real life experiencing and living through a very real past. I think I may have one more. I'm not sure. Is that it? Oh, here we go. This actually happened uh, just over in Casco. Um, this wedding, you recognize them possibly. Some of you, they're your friends. Um, and the guy there in the middle doing the wedding, this wedding happened to be, I'm pretty sure, in 2014. And what you don't understand by looking at the picture is, yes, that looks great and wonderful. Uh, they, it was a, a beautiful environment and the wedding was great but the guy in the middle that picture you can't tell what's going on in his life and it represents a very real person with a very real life who has a very real past it's true for all of us i believe you see here here's kind of where this goes I believe every single one of us, no matter what the picture is that somebody may be looking at, what they don't know is behind that picture is a life that not everybody knows about, the details about. And behind that life is a very real past. A, very, a past that is filled with all kinds of things, sometimes filled with many, many, many hurts, many struggles. There's also good things in there too that they don't know about. But here's the thing. We know what to do with somebody's good times. We know what to say. We know how to celebrate with them. We know how to react. We know how to respond. But when somebody has a path like mine, when somebody has a past, maybe, like yours, people don't know how to respond. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to react. And this is where it can turn bad. Because so often, 
as I have experienced it, maybe as you have experienced it, the church does not know how to respond when somebody shows up with a past. The church does not know how to respond so often when somebody shows up and their lives are sticky and their lives are messy. And so what happens when they don't know what to do with what I have brought? They shut us out. They push us away. They distance themselves because they just don't know how to respond. They don't know how to react. They don't know what to say when someone shows up with a messy life. So here's what I want to do for a moment. I'm going to come over here and I'm going to hit rewind on our remote control. I want to hit rewind because I want us to go backwards just enough for us to maybe remember what it was like for you perhaps or someone you know or what it was like for me to show up in a church when they didn't know what to do with the past that you were carrying with you. You see, I have realized by looking back that it seems in America, maybe not everywhere, I don't know, and it's certainly not every church in America by any means, but largely, by and large, by and large, we can say this. The church can't tolerate a Christian who has a problem. And you know what that has led to? That has led to you and me, and many, many other people being hurt and harmed by the very thing that we had hoped could bring us hope. The church can't tolerate a Christian with a problem. Usually, average church with a marriage problem, they have no idea what to do. So they distance themselves. You show up to the average church with relationship struggles that are messy. And they don't know what to do. So they distance themselves from you. You show up to the average place like that with family problems. They don't know how to respond. They don't know what to say. You show up with personal problems. They want you to keep them personal and quiet. You see, it seems like that all of these things really just disqualify us from being involved in church. And maybe it's not even other people who shut us out. Maybe, for some of us, we have disqualified ourselves and shut ourselves off from church because, hey, we know more about our past than anybody. We know things that nobody knows. And so we disqualify ourselves and we say, I, I, I can't be a part of that. We have a tendency to take issues from our past 
And, and if we're in the movie theater, we're just going to kind of shove them under the seat. We're going to leave them on the floor and let the floor just get stickier and stickier and messier and messier. And we're just going to step over it and step around it. And, and when the movie's over, we're going to get up and leave. And we're going to just leave all that junk behind. How many times have we thought to ourselves, I just want to leave all my mess behind I don't want to deal with it anymore. I just want to leave it behind. And so we try to go on with life and just leave it behind. Here's the problem. We can't just ignore our past. We can't ignore our past. We can't bury it. We can't hide it. We can't shove it under the seats. We can't just leave it on the floor and walk away. We can't just move on away from our past because it doesn't work that way. Here's why unresolved problems from our past don't stay in our past. They follow us into our present and then they impact our future. But think with me for just a moment. What if? What if the very things that we hoped we could just leave behind what if the very things that we look at and we say oh that counts me out I can never be a part of a church I can never be involved I can never go I, I that counts me out because my what if those very things were the same things that God wanted to redeem and God wanted to buy back so that he could heal them and so that we could become the very hope and the encouragement that other people need. What if? What if the greatest place to deal with all of that past and all of that stickiness and all of that mess what if the greatest place to deal with all of that is the local church? What if a group of people who will encourage one another, who will help each other deal with what they are living through, the very things that we are trying to step over, the very things we're trying to leave behind, the very things we're trying to deep down under our seat. What if those were the very things that God wanted to redeem and this was the very place He wanted to do that? Why is it though that so often we do the exact opposite. You know the top excuse that I hear when I come in contact with somebody, I don't even have to say anything about the church, anything about, uh, they just, when I come into contact with someone who has not been in church in a while, they begin to give me reasons why. And, 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 and one of the top reasons is this. I've got some things I need to deal with. And as soon as I have some things straightened out and figured out, I'm going to be back. Why is it 
that we get that so wrong. Why is it that there is a perception about church, just church in general, church at large, not just Stuttgart Harvest Church, but just the, the church across the nations? Why is it that there's a perception that at church, they have it all together? At church, they have their stuff together and organized in their lives. It's not messy. So when I get my things in my life more organized and more together, then I could be a part of that too. The problem is, that is just wrong. That is dead wrong. How have we given the world, especially in the United States, the perception that at church... People have it all together. How have we done that? I guess one way is we, we look in God's Word and we elevate the people in the Bible to this status of being heroes. We elevate them to this one word we call saints. And... And I, nobody knows how many saints, the way that we think about saints, how many there really are. I mean, some people guess maybe as many as 10,000 people have achieved sainthood. But nobody really knows. But we've elevated so many of the people in the Bible to this status of being a saint. So, here's what I've done. I, I, I have gathered up some pictures of a few. We're going to walk through them here, but Kinley's going to help us. Here's, here's one here. This is um, St. Simon, and then the pasty guy here closer to me, that is St. Jude. Now off the bat, one thing I really want to mention here is it's amazing how Caucasian they are. I just, it blows me away. I, who knew? They didn't even know. I guess they didn't have a mirror. Wow, they're white. Um, this is St. Simon and St. Jude, apparently. Um, and let's go to the next. I want to show you another one here. This is St. John here. Again, what a white fella he is. He must have really stayed out of the sun in the Middle East there. Not sure how he had some SPF 2000. Wow. Now, we may have identified, though, part of the reason. I don't know if you can tell or not, but apparently St. John came with a little glowing circle above his head. You see it? I can't point to it really, but if you'll just follow my finger that way. You see it? Wow! No wonder he's a saint. He has a halo! That's pretty amazing. High five. John. St. John, I'm sorry. St. John. Let's see. Let's see. I've got a couple here. Here's another. This is St. Peter. Now, I believe this is stained glass. St. Peter, and this is also St. Paul, who's closer to me. Notice Paul, St. Paul there, he had the duck hunter beard going on. Way to go. Um, but they also come with their own circles of light. That's, I guess, how you identify the saints. Um, they have one of those. 
Apparently, mine's missing. I'm not sure. Um, let's see, I've, but I've got another picture of St. Peter and St. Paul. Here they are. Um, once again, just want to notice, um, whoever did all this artwork really had their Caucasian glasses on because we've got another couple of real white guys here. Here's what I want to know, though. How did they know that St. Paul had such a male pattern baldness going on? That little bitty tuft of hair right in the middle, they, someone took some keen notes for them to be able to take. But notice they also come with their own circles there as well. This is just a sample of the saints. There are many, many, many more. But I wanted you to kind of get to know them in a different way. So I visited their Snapchat accounts. I did. I visited their Snapchat accounts. So here's... Here, if you want to get to know the real St. Simon and St. Jude, here's from their Snapchat account. Yeah. I'm, I, for real, I don't, I mean, they're pretty active. Um, uh, let's see, I had to work hard to get that screenshot captured. Uh, St. John, though, he has one too. Here's his. Yeah. St. John the cat. Meow. Um, St. Peter and St. Paul, they, they didn't want to be left out. They've got a Snapchat account as well. Really makes his little tuft of hair there look nice, though, doesn't it? I like that. I would imagine that if St. Paul were to hear you call him St. Paul today, I would imagine he would not like that at all. If he were to hear you call him Saint Paul, I don't think he would respond to that. I don't think he would respond to that, and here's why. Because Paul had a very different name for himself. Paul went by a very different name that he gave himself. So I'm not making this up. This is coming from Paul. I'm pretty sure that he would reject the name or the title St. Paul for himself. You know why? Here's what he calls himself. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Here's what Paul says. This is a trust, trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Here's his name. He gave it to himself. And I am the worst of them all. Saint? Paul would say, oh, no. No, 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 no. Because behind that picture you were just looking at is a very real life. And if you could peer behind that life, you would see a very real life past. Paul would say, ha, 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 no, 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 no. I'm no saint. I am a sinner. Some translations say the chief of all sinners, which means Paul is saying, I am the boss. If this is a room of sinners, I'm the boss. He would say, if this is a world of sinners, I'm their king. I am the head, the lead sinner. There's no one that has sinned more than me. There's no one that has sinned greater than me, Paul would say. I am the worst 
sinner. Saint? No, 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 no. You have it wrong. I am the worst sinner. You see, this is not a story uh, of heroes. When you look in God's Word, it is not a story of heroes. Because when you look very closely at those lives, you will discover that they were more like zeros, like me. They were not heroes. You see, in the story of God, God is the hero, the only hero. God Himself who lowered Himself to live on this earth. God Himself who lowered Himself and put on the flesh and the blood and the bone of His own creation and limited Himself. God Himself limited Himself. And He did that for one reason. So that He could lift me out of my mess. So that He could clean your lives from the stickiness of our past. That's why He did it. To lift us up out of our mess, He had to hang Himself upon the cross. And that is the story of my hope today. And Paul says, I'm no hero. No, you have it wrong. I'm no hero. I am the worst of all sinners. That's me. So here's our bottom line today. When it comes to Paul, if there's hope for him, then there's hope for them. And that includes me. If there's hope for him, there's hope for all of them. And that includes me. Don't think that something from your past will disqualify you from God. Don't think that something that you are carrying around in your mind from your past will disqualify you from church. And you say, but Harley, Harley, we're talking about Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. Most of the New Covenant was written by Paul. How bad could he be? How bad could he be? So Paul shows us his mess. And in the middle of that mess, he invites God down into the process of changing his life. And God transforms Paul. Do you know, Paul actually tried to stop God. Let's very quickly look at just a snapshot of Paul's life. Acts chapter 26, starting with verse 9. We're going to go down through verse 11. It says this, Paul said, I used to believe that I ought to do everything. Now, Paul was very religious. Very religious. He said, I thought I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus, the Nazarene. He was religious. He had a religion. 
But Paul had no relationship with God. It goes on. He said, indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, in other words, all the other religious people who were anything in the, in the who's who of religious people, they all said, yeah, Paul, go do this. He said, authorized by the leading priest, I caused, he says this, it was me. I caused this. It was me. I'm behind it. I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And we say, oh, that's not too bad. I mean, they're going to get out, right? They're just in prison for a little while, huh? It's not going to be too bad. Well, no. And I cast my vote. So when it came time to vote, what's going to happen to these people that you've put in prison, Paul? Well, here's my vote. I want them to die. He said, I cast my vote against them when they were all condemned to death. Hmm. He says, many times I had them, I had them. In other words, he had control, he had this level of power and authority, and he said, I commanded, I had them, it was me, I had them punished. Punished in the synagogues. And here's why, look, look why. To get them to curse Jesus. Let me tell you what this means. Paul had them tortured to the point of death so that he could get them to, with their mouth, curse the very name of Jesus. Paul had them tortured. He said, I was so violently, and, and we have no trouble, right, understanding that what Paul was doing was violent, having them arrested, having them killed, having them tortured. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down into foreign cities. So he didn't just work around Jerusalem, he went on the road and he was finding them everywhere he could find them to hurt them, to torture them to have them curse Jesus. He was trying to stop God. Now listen, I, I know that you're telling me that you have a past. I do too. I know you're telling me that you have been bad. But if you work at Walmart, you have not been so bad that one of the Waltons came down to Stuttgart, right? To have a meeting with you. If you work at Lennox, you have not been so bad that Mr. Lennox came off the TV commercial and came to have a meeting with you. You have not been that bad. Paul was so bad that Jesus showed up. And we're talking about Jesus who came here and walked on this earth. He's God. He died and then he left. He returned to heaven to be with God. Jesus came back because Paul was that bad. I bet you haven't been that bad that God had to come back.
So God comes back. Jesus comes back and confronts Paul. Not Jesus, a ghost. Jesus came back in all his glory, and it was so personally, and it was so bright that Paul was blinded. Jesus came back, and Paul looked at him, and he went blind. Acts 26, verse 14. We all fell down when Jesus came back. And I heard a voice saying to me, because he couldn't see him, he was now blind. I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Okay, friends. So, I'm convinced. You have me convinced. You have a past. I hope you understand. I hope I have you convinced. I have a past. But I bet this. I bet that you have never tortured people to the point of death to get them to curse the name of Jesus. I bet that you have never had people brutally murdered because they were following Jesus. I mean, that's ISIS stuff. I bet you have never done that. I bet you have never had somebody killed because they were following Jesus and it left children without a father and babies without their mother. I bet you have not done that. But Paul did. And that may just be part of the reason why Paul says, of all the sinners in all the world, I am the worst. And you know what happens? Jesus, Jesus tells Paul, well, Paul, while I've got you here, um, you are now going to go throughout the world to all these non-Jews. I know you have been very religious as a Jewish person, but you are now going to go throughout the world to all the non-Jews and you're going to tell them about me, about Jesus. Jesus gave Paul an assignment. And then God tells this man named Ananias, he says, listen, I need you to go and you're going to do some things. You're going to hang out with Paul for a while. And Ananias says, okay, okay, I'll do whatever you want. What, what, what? Paul? The one who has been torturing us? The one who has been killing anyone who is following Jesus? Paul? You want me to do what? Surely. Surely I can send him a text message, an email, maybe a phone call, a little FaceTime perhaps, but you want me to hang out with him? Listen, God, um, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but that's absurd. I mean, that's just, that's crazy talk. That is 
that is unbelievable, unimaginable. That you would ask Him or tell Him to be a spokesperson for you, unimaginable. Do you really remember? You know who you're talking about, right? Paul. St. Paul. <laughs> you know who? Paul? Do you realize God actually loves the unlikely candidates? God adores the unimaginable candidates to do things for Him. He loves that. Paul, in his day, labeled by himself the worst of all sinners. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Today, it might be me. But God loves to work with the unthinkable, the unimaginable, the absurd, the unlikely. So this morning, as you walked into this room, which by the way is not the church, this is just a building. When you walked into this room, you may have felt like the most absurd, the worst of all sinners the most unthinkable person to be in this room, the most unimaginable person to be in this room. And I tell you, that's the point. If you are the absurd candidate, that's the point. Now in the life of Paul, God goes on with his plan. God goes on with his plan, which includes now Paul. And God teaches and changes and transforms Paul. He takes that past of Paul's and he heals it. He goes on with his plan. And God uses Paul, the most unlikely candidate. But years later, Paul writes something else. And I want to read this to you. He writes this years later. Paul says, he, speaking of God, speaking of Jesus, he comforts us in all of our troubles, he said, so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. And what you have just read on this screen is the purpose of the local church. This is what Stuttgart Harvest Church is to be. And there are three steps to get there. And oh, I want you to come with me on those three steps today very quickly. We've got some things we have to admit. We've got some secrets we have to reveal. So here's what we're going to do. Let's hit the pause button very, very cautiously right now. Let's hit the pause button. And in your life, you must hit the pause button because you have things in your life that you have to admit. And we're not going to do that out loud right here. So take a deep breath. But there are things in your life, hurts from your past, 
hang-ups and habits, addictions, or just struggles and trauma. There are things in your past you have to hit the pause button on and you have to admit, I've got a past. I have been dragging around a past. I've tried to step over it. I've tried to go around it. I've tried to leave it under my seat. But it is following me around. And guess what? It is going to continue to follow you around and to haunt you until you hit pause and you begin to admit it. To reveal to someone the secret I like to say it like this. Show it, or you're going to grow it. It's not going to go away. We have to hit pause and admit, I have been carrying around my past. And I've drug it into my present. And it's impacting my future. We have to hit pause and admit it. And then, once we've done that, we can come over here and hit play. Because we have something we need to do right now. Once we admit it, we have something we need to do. We need to begin allowing God and a handful, one, two, or three, a handful of trusted, growing Christ followers, not perfect, not saints, growing Christ followers. We need to trust them in our lives and allow God and them to walk with us each day as we begin to work through that past, that trauma, that struggle, that hurt, that habit, that hang up. So we need to hit pause and admit it. We need to hit play and begin to work through it. And you right now at this very moment are doing one of the first steps of beginning to work through. You came in and you are sitting under the teaching of God's Word. That's a big step. And I just simply say this. Keep coming back because when we are not here, then we are most often living in our minds all up in our past. And we're not getting better, we're just dragging it. Keep coming here. Play. And now I'm going to come over here. And I'm going to hit the fast forward button. You know why? Because as we work through that past, through that stickiness, through that mess, through that trauma, through that hurt, through that habit, through that addiction, through that struggle, as we work through that, there is a future. As we fast forward, here's part three. God will use your past to encourage, to help, and give hope to other people. God never, ever 
will waste your hurt. It will never be wasted. Someone else will grow. Someone else will be encouraged. Someone will be helped. Someone will be given hope. So here's what I like to say. Use your past or your past will continue to use you. Use your past. Allow God to use your past. To use your hurt that is being healed. Your habit that is being broken. Your struggle. Your trauma. Allow God to use your past. Or your past will continue to use you. You see... If we, concerning our past, if we don't use our past, then they all lose. Use or lose. And God desires to do. You know what I'm talking about? It's that verse we just read. McKinley, will you go back to that verse, 2 Corinthians 1.4? Here's the verse. It's going to be on the screen. This is the fast-forward button. This is what Stuttgart Harvest Church is. This is it. We are not perfect, but we are moving towards God's best for us. He comforts us in all of our troubles. That's our past, our troubles, our past. So that we can comfort others. Use it. Or they lose. Use our past or our past will continue to use us. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. That is a church that knows what to do with sticky lives. That is a church that knows what to do when someone shows up with a past. Do you know why? Because we all have our own. And we're admitting it. And we're growing through it. And God is healing us. And now we, as we are being healed of our past, have the opportunity to be used in the healing of others. That is a church that knows what to do with a past. This morning I'm simply asking you to do this as the band is making their way up to the front. Will you admit it? Will you admit to you and God and somebody you can trust who's a growing believer? Will you trust them and admit your past to them? That's hitting the pause button. Then will you hit play and keep coming back? Stay involved. Keep coming on Sundays. Be a part. And as Cole encouraged you this morning, take it to the next step and get involved in a small group. That is pushing play and beginning to work through. And guess what? There's never an end to that. We do that for the rest of our lives.
And then will you allow God to use it? Will you allow God to bring hope and healing and comfort and help to other people through your life? Will you participate? You know, when it comes to Paul, if there's hope for him, there's hope for all of them. That includes me. You know what? One day you'll be able to say your life and as, as an example, somebody will point to you and they'll say, if there's hope for him, there's hope for all of them. That includes me. That is Stuttgart Harvest Church. I simply say this to you, my friends. Welcome home. You see, that's what the church is supposed to be. The church is never, uh, never intended, and it has never been intended by Jesus. The church has never been intended to be a trophy case showing off everything we've done. Never has it meant to be a trophy case. The church has always intended to be a triage. Stitching up wounds and binding wounds and, and putting back together broken bones and broken lives. Just the way Jesus created it to be. And we ask you this. Will you join us? Other people with pasts that Jesus is healing as we continue to press play and move on and attend and be a part and join groups as we continue to press play. And the future of that is that God will use our lives to encourage, to bring help, to bring hope, to bring comfort to other people. Will you join us to be the church the way Jesus created it to be? Let's pray. God, your servant who called himself the worst of all sinners said this, that we should all accept it, that you, Jesus Christ, came to the world to save sinners. You didn't come here to beat us down. You didn't come here to rub our noses in the mess of our lives. You came here to save us. And then Paul said this, I am the worst of all sinners. And God, some of us here in this room right now, myself included, have the same feeling about ourselves. I am the worst of all. But God, you came here to save me. You came here to save my friends. And you came here to transform us. So that the very comfort you gave us, the very transformation you are giving us, we can in turn begin to, uh, begin to pour that into the lives of the people around us. God, I'm so grateful for you and what you did on the cross for us. Jesus, we pray these things in your name, our Savior. Amen.